0: Well today we are focused on the future. And I don't know why my graduates are not sitting on the front. I guess they didn't want to they didn't want to like have a front row seat. It's all good. I'm just I'm kidding. Today we are focused on the future. And on this occasion when we think about graduation, we think about the course of our lives, especially for the graduates themselves the graduates are thinking about their future but i think uh, this is a time also for the rest of us to think about our future we never become too old to to think about what lies ahead for us and so i think the question today that we need to ask ourselves is a question that may sound negative But has huge implications for the future. How do I not waste my life? How do I not waste my life? To give you a very short answer, the way that we make the most of our lives and therefore not waste it is by living our lives passionately for God's glory. When we do this, we're doing what we were created for. We were created more not for our own pleasure, we were created for His. And when we live passionately, magnifying Him, living our lives at point away from us, away from the mirror, into the surpassing worth of our king, we find joy, fulfillment. And we find at the end of our lives that they're not wasted, but rather that we've made the most of it. So how do we do this? How do we glorify God? The short answer is we glorify God by doing what He's commanded us to do. By living in obedience to Him. How do we do that? What has He commanded us to do? I think we can summarize it the way the Lord Jesus does. We can summarize all the expectations that God has of the world in these two commands. First of all, love God with everything that we have, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. But then Jesus gives us a second command. He says the second is actually just like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you had to summarize what it means to glorify God by obeying Him, it's these two commands. Love God with everything that you have and love others The way that He loves us. And by the way, the way that we reflect God's love to the world. One of the primary ways that we glorify Him in the world. In Matthew 25, Jesus describes Himself as the final judge. Jesus tells His followers that judgment will be based on how they treat people. Judgment will be based on how they treat people. Now, I want to highlight, salvation is not based on how we serve others, okay? Don't don't misread what we're about to look at here. Salvation is not based on how well we show compassion on those in need. It's not based on how we show kindness to others. But rather, how we treat other people, listen close, is evidence of our salvation. In other words, the kindness that we show to others, the way we love other people, in no way will save us, in no way will give us right standing before God. Our faith in Christ alone is what does that. However, how can we say we have faith in Christ if it's not evidenced by a transformation in our lives? Specifically, how we show kindness and compassion to people. So it's not based on this, but it's evidenced by it. Because we have encountered a compassionate God, we can't help but show compassion to other people. Because we have the greatest love ever known to mankind, we cannot help but reflect this love to others. And so what we're going to see in Matthew 25 is that the evidence of salvation is how we treat other people. Because really, how we treat other people is how we're treating the Lord Himself. Let's go to God's Word. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word together. (laughs) Hear the words of our God. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen close. For I was hungry, and you gave Me food. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Father, Help us to not be merely your people in word only. But help us to be your people in our actions, in our works. Lord, we believe the gospel this morning. That you lived a life that we should have lived. That you died the death that we deserve to die. That you died in our place and that all that we have to do to have right standing before you, all that we have to do to be forgiven, to be saved out of our sin, is by turning from our sin and clinging to Christ. But Father, I pray this morning that we would see, that we would be convicted that our faith even though it alone saves us, never comes alone. And Father, I pray that You would mark Your people by dedication to showing compassion and mercy and grace to those around us. Lord, I pray that we would not just be a church that gathers together for worship, but that we would be a church that goes into the community and has compassion on people. That we serve our community. That if we shut our doors tomorrow, that they would see that, man, we are missed because of how well we serve our community. Father, I pray that through our service that people see the Gospel. That they see not us, but that they see the love of You. And that not only do we change their situation now, but Lord, that we change it for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. So three observations from this text really quickly. Uh, First of all, Jesus will judge everyone. When we serve others, we're actually serving Jesus. And finally, Jesus' judgment is final. Jesus' judgment is final. So we begin uh, in verse 31, seeing that Jesus will judge everyone. Notice how he starts in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory. The language that he uses here actually echoes the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel 7, the Ancient of Days, God Himself, (laughs) reigns over all His creation. He sits enthroned over His creation in perfect sovereignty But then, as Daniel's vision goes on, he sees the Son of Man receiving glory and dominion from God. This is what he says. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came One like a Son of Man. And He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion Which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. When Jesus in verse 31 says, When the Son of Man, referring to himself, comes in glory, Jesus is saying, I am fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel, which refers to God himself. Jesus is saying, I'm not just some prophet, I'm not just some good teacher. But I'm the God of the Old Testament who will receive dominion, whose kingdom shall never end. Notice the glory with which he comes. He says, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. But notice what it says he'll do next it says that he will gather all people for judgment. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. When Jesus returns, listen, He's returning for one purpose, and that's judgment. The language that's used here would call the, the first century reader to think about In Joel 3, where God gathers all the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat and judges them. Once again, this highlights Jesus' authority. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of the prophecy and I have the authority to judge. says that He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Jesus is using a metaphor here from the saved and the lost. Now in the... In the Middle East back then, and even still today, a shepherd would often let the sheep be intermingled with goats. And I know when we think about sheep, we think like these white, fluffy animals. But really, sheep are kind of dirty. They're not completely white. A lot of them have brown mixed in. And so, from a distance, when you look at one of these intermingled herds, it is impossible to see the difference between a sheep and a goat. From a distance you cannot tell what which one is which. But when the day came where they needed to be separated, what would the shepherd do? The shepherd would come close and he would examine each one by itself. And as he came closer and as he scrutinized each one, He made quick work of telling whether it was a sheep or a goat because once you got it up close and scrutinized it, it was obvious. It was obvious what the animal was. Jesus is saying that on the final judgment, even now, while His people, while the saved are intermingled into the world, the saved and the lost are living In the same world, there is coming a day when Jesus will gather all people. From a distance, you may not be able to tell whether they are saved or lost. But as He brings each one forward and scrutinizes each one of us individually, it will become apparent to the judge which one we are. And so church, the greatest question that I can ask you here this morning is which side will you be on? Now notice, I'm not asking you the question, what side do other people think you will be on? Because on that day, it's not going to matter what other people think about you. On that day, it's not going to matter what your church attendance was. On that day, it's not going to matter if you've been baptized or if you've walked an aisle. On that day, what's going to matter is have you truly received the Lord Jesus? And as the shepherd brings the sheep and the goats before Him, He's going to be able to tell which one you are. So that means that you can hide from everybody. You can fool everybody. You can make everybody think that you are some upstanding person. But brothers and sisters, you're not going to fool the shepherd. He knows his sheep. And one day, you will stand before him and everything will burn away. All your excuses... All of the facade that you try to put up. You know, you may have gone through the check boxes. Right? You know what I'm talking about? The check boxes of what you know, a good Christian is supposed to be. Go through the motions. Maybe as a kid, you've prayed a prayer. And were baptized. You know, you check that box. Maybe you, you've attended church and you, know, you can check that box. Maybe you, know, you, you do some spiritual things in your life you can check that box. But at the end of the day, what is going to matter is what you have done with Jesus. Have you truly received Him? Have you truly received Him? Now, here's the question. Here's the question. How do I know if I have truly received Him? Okay? Because I'm not asking you to step out on feelings. That's, that's what causes a lot of problems. We step out on feelings and well, like, I feel like I'm saved. How do we know if we truly receive Jesus? And the answer is: when Jesus saves us, it comes with transformation. We're not the same. And so, listen, I cannot tell you if you are a Christian or not. I just can't do it. I can't tell you if you've received Jesus or not. But what we can do is we can look at the evidence in your life. You know, a sheep and a goat, they may look alike, but there's evidence very clearly when you start inspecting it closer, there's outward signs that show you which one it is. And so Jesus is going to look at the outward signs And notice what He says next. Jesus says that when we serve others, we serve Him. And Jesus looks particularly at the evidence of how we treat other people. This is interesting. Jesus doesn't say, did you repent and believe? Jesus makes His judgment based on something else. Notice, what he says in verse 34 remarkable then the king will say to those on his right that is the sheep the righteous come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world why the next verse because i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me I was naked and You clothed me. I was sick and You visited me. I was in prison and You came to me. And the the sheep are just going to be like, wait a second. Lord, You mean to tell me that that Your judgment of me is based on that I did these things for You? Well, Lord, when did I do that for You? I've never seen You. And then notice what He says. He says, He says, what you have done for the least of these, my brothers, you have done for me. Like I said earlier, we're not saved by our compassion. We're not saved because we've done these things. But rather, we do these things as evidence of our salvation. We just can't help it but to show God's compassion to people. He turns to the goats on the other side and He tells them to depart into punishment for the exact opposite reasons because they failed to show compassion. The exact opposite of what He tells the sheep. He tells them to depart from Him into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And y'all, we could, we could expound on this for the rest of the morning, but realize that Hell is not a place that God designed for people to go to. Our God is a very loving God. He does not want people to go there. God does not take delight in the destruction of the wicked. The Bible says that He's willing for all to repent. He's willing for all to come to the point of salvation. But this punishment, this Wrath is eternal, he says. It's an eternal fire. And they are sent to it because they have refused to serve Jesus. And just like before, they're baffled. When did we do that? Lord, if I would have seen you in need, I would have stopped. I would have surely ministered to your needs. And Jesus says, when you didn't serve the least of these, actually the one you were refusing to serve is me. Or to put it a different way, people stand condemned, not because they just failed to show compassion, but rather their lack of knowing God. Their lack of knowing God is why they did not show compassion. You know, when I think about this, Uh, Immediately, I start thinking, well, maybe this is the only place in Scripture where where this idea is here. Maybe Jesus is just kind of saying this, and you know this. But the the thing is, this is not the only place in Scripture where we see Jesus or, or God telling us that He expects us to take care of and show compassion on those in need the oppressed, the vulnerable. This is what God says through the prophet Isaiah. He says He's had enough of their worship. Listen to His words. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of your burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats when you come to appear before Me. Who has required the trampling of My courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath. The calling of convocations. I can't endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your anointed feasts my soul hates. Imagine if God said that about our worship services. What if God said that about us? I am sick of you singing songs to me. And then... We go on to hear what he says. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands, listen, he says, your hands are full of blood. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. What would God say of our worship? Would He stand before us and say, I am sick of your worship because when you come and you lift up your hands in worship, when you open your mouth to sing, you have not been serving those in need. Will he he say to us, I'm sick of your worship because when you come in here, you lift up hands that are dripping with blood of other people as you fail to stand up for the oppressed. Will he say, hey, I'm sick of your worship because you haven't even stood up for the rights of the unborn children. You haven't served mothers that are in need. Will he say that I'm sick of your worship because you, you wouldn't even go and bring food to someone who is in need. You wouldn't even go and visit somebody who is in need. Church, this is all over Scripture. The prophet Micah speaks about what God requires of His people. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams. With tens of thousands of rivers of oil. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. What will it take to please our God? Micah says, he's told you O man what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Listen to these. Listen to these words. But to do justice. That means... To bring about justice as best we can. To love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. Why is it that three of those commands that are given, two of them, have to do with how we treat other people? Hello. Maybe it's because the way that we love God is more expressed in how we love other people. It doesn't end there. James, the apostle, writes about what true religion is. He says, Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. The apostle John writes about how we should lay down our lives for others. He says, By this we know love. Love. That He, Jesus, laid down His life for us. So therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, by the way, that's all of us in this room. We're wealthy Americans. Even the poorest of us in this room, we are doing pretty good for where we live If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, these words haunt me. Personally. Because I know that I don't live up to this myself. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. It's all over God's word. When God gave the law to Israel, He required... Two specific things of them that, one being during the harvest, grain was to be left on the corners of the field for those in need, those who are hungry to pick up. In other words, God says, hey, when you go to harvest, why don't you make more for your harvest? than you're actually going to pick up, leave a little bit there so those who are in need can pick it up. Every seven years, debts were canceled to help brothers who were struggling. It's built into God's law to to His people Israel to care for others who are in need, to care for the oppressed, to care for the vulnerable. Finally, Jesus tells us what the greatest commandment is. Jesus Himself. Somebody asked Him, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to Him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You had to boil it all down. What does God expect of me? Love Him with everything you've got. And reflect His love in the way you love other people. So this has huge implications for us as a church And for us as individuals. If our salvation is evidenced by how we treat others, what does our acts of service and compassion say about our faith? I'm not talking about what we say about our faith. I'm saying like if if you were under the microscope of his scrutiny and all he looked at is how you treated the vulnerable, how you treated the oppressed, how you cared and had compassion on those around you. What does that say about your faith? When was the last time that we went out of our way to show compassion and hospitality to somebody who was in need? When was the last time that we brought a meal to someone who was in need? When was the last time that we visited somebody in need? When was the last time that we served a widow? When was the last time that we served an orphan? When was the last time that we went out of our way and were inconvenienced because we were serving someone in need? You know, I have this conviction that when God's people come to town, people ought to be able to see it through how they serve other people. When you see a church flourishing, you shouldn't see a church flourishing because you see what their attendance is. You shouldn't see a church flourishing because they've got cars in the parking lot, because you see them on social media. The sign of a church that is truly flourishing is when you go into the community and you see how well they serve their community. And so church, we have to be that light in our community. We've got to be the people where the elderly and the widows are cared for and told of a God who cares for them. The weak and oppressed need to be served by us because of a king who came to serve and give his life for us. And church, we need to be a people where orphans and foster children are taken in who maybe have never heard of the love of God. They need to be taken in and told of the God who took us in. That is what He calls us to do. That is how He calls us to love. So what will we be known for? What are we going to be known for? I would hate in a hundred years to look back and see that all that we were known for was a building program or our worship services or our preaching or singing in a hundred years the only thing that's going to be left is none of that all that's going to be left is how we loved other people in our community all that's going to be left is the compassion that we showed people and the greatest irony is when the lost don't find the greatest love in the world because we refuse to reflect it to them. The last observation we see here is that Jesus' judgment is final. Verse 46. Notice what he says, very short verse. And those and these will go away into eternal punishment. He's talking about the goats, the lost, but the righteous into eternal life. When Jesus judges people, that's it, that's final. The result is they go where he tells them to go. There are no appeals. There are no mulligans. There's no do overs. The goats and the unrighteous will go into eternal punishment, punishment that is described here as the wrath of God. And the sheep, the righteous, will enter into eternal life eternal life with perfect fellowship with God eternal joy and fulfillment that never ends. My question for you today as individuals is what does your life say about your eternal destiny? I'm not asking did you make a profession of faith. I'm not asking did you get baptized. I'm not asking did you go to church. I'm saying you look at your life right now, what does that say about where you are headed for eternity? What does that say about you? We see in this passage that Jesus is going to judge everybody. Which side will you be on? Have you received Jesus? That's what makes the difference. When we serve others, we serve Jesus, we see. Is your faith is it active or is it dead? Finally, we see that Jesus' judgment is final. Eternity is at stake. We cannot put off the question. The evidence of salvation is how we serve and show compassion on others. So what do we need to do? Well, first of all, I'd say if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I have not truly received Christ. Today can be the day that you say, you answer that question, what will I do with Jesus Today can be the day that you say, I'm going to receive Him. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to put all my eggs in His basket I'm going to cling to Him. But Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're, you're what I would call a fake, a phony. You've got that facade, nice and pretty, where everybody thinks that you are a good Christian. But deep down you know that it is just a game. You don't walk with the Lord. You haven't truly received Him. There's good news for you today. That is the same grace that we hold out is the same grace that we hold out for a phony. And let me tell you, if there's anybody that knows it, I know it. Because that's where I was about ten years ago. I was as phony as they could be. Had that facade up, thought, man, every man, I got this thing figured out. Didn't walk with the Lord, didn't care about the Lord, but everybody else thought I did. So I can tell you, if you're a fake, if you're a phony, He'll still save you. He saved me. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you'd say, you know, I'm I'm faithfully walking with the Lord. For you to respond to this is simply to commit yourself to serving others the way that God has served you. Maybe that means that you take a meal to somebody. Somebody asked me on Wednesday, well, if I take a meal to somebody, do I, does that mean I have to cook it? Maybe that means you swing by the hut and pick up the $7.99 large takeout pizzas and bring them to somebody. Maybe that means you swing by KFC and get the big bucket and take it to somebody. For some of you, that may mean that you need to volunteer for foster care. We have such an opportunity to minister to the children in our area. Children that otherwise would have nowhere to go. For others of you, that may mean that you need to take a child and and not necessarily adopt them per se, but influence them. Be their second home. Be a place where they can run to and know that you love them, that you care about them. Maybe that means that you need to go home today and dust off the cobwebs out of your guest room and get it ready for showing gospel hospitality because God has done the same for us. However the Spirit leads you today, I can't go through a list and just hit every one of them. But whatever He puts on your heart today to serve people, realize that it's not optional. It's not just to do... If we're feeling like it. But it's something that he commands us to do. And it's something that if we're genuine in our faith. That we must do. Let's pray together. Father we thank you. We thank you Lord. That your grace has found us when we were running away from it. Lord, I pray as we stand and sing in just a moment that we would realize that all of eternity hangs in the balance in this room today. Father, I pray that people that don't know You today or people that are fake, phony Christians would realize that today they can change that. And Lord, I pray that we, your people, would be known for how we serve other people. That the world around us can see that the church is in town. That we would not let the secular world outserve us. But Lord, I pray that we would step up, that we would rise up, that we would put away all excuses, and that we would serve our community in Jesus name. Amen.